the story of Joseph is not necessarily the easiest one. As the Jesus Storybook Bible talked about, uh, it's from chapters 37 through 46. Technically, I would say they included something that happens in chapter 50, which is forgiveness, which, which doesn't happen until, I think, chapter 50, verse 20. So you have these 14 chapters condensed down into this one story. A story that perhaps has more ups and downs in it than what was in the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're introduced to Joseph in chapter 37. And we find out that even his brothers despise them. It starts like this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe uh, of many colors. No, that's not what I have. Uh, and, uh, and he made an ornate robe for him. So the, the reason there's this little discrepancy here is we're not sure what the word means. Oftentimes we said it was a coat of many colors. Uh, where oftentimes now uh, more study and reflection into the passage actually meant it's a robe with long sleeves. A, a robe that royalty would wear. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Such difficulty. 17-year-old Joseph, one of the youngest of all the brothers, firstborn of Rachel, the wife that Jacob loved, receives the special gift that causes his brothers to even hate him and dislike him more. Special clothing. He received regal clothing, perhaps royal clothing, royal treatment. Every time his brothers would, would see him wearing that clothes, they would think of something. They're not loved as much as Joseph. Their father loves him more and loves them less. And that royal treatment and that royal robe begin to drive a wedge in between the brothers. The passage says that they're hated. They hated him. And unlike last week where we talked about the word hate meaning love less, when hate is accompanied by action, which we see later, it means something a little bit stronger. They despise Him. They want Him gone. And not only did the royal treatment and the royal robe cause them to do that, but then there were these dreams, these royal dreams that Joseph had. He would say to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field where suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheave gathered around me and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? 
and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. That wasn't the only dream, the only royal dream that Joseph would have. He had other royal dreams, ones where the sun and moon and the stars would bow down to him, representing his brothers and even his parents bowing down to him. The royal treatment and the royal robe, that was one thing. But now the royal attitude and the royal dreams just took it a little too far for the brothers. And so their hate for their brother began to stew. And they ended up trying to figure out what to do. They saw him coming from a long ways out when, when Jacob sent Joseph to check on the brothers who were, who were caring for the sheep in the field. And the brothers saw him and they began scheming. Perhaps they were good at scheming because their dad was. And they thought, why don't we murder him? We'll kill him and I'll be the end of the dreamer for good. The end of his royal attitude. The end of his royal robe. But then they had a different thought. Well, maybe. Maybe we can profit off of him. Why kill him when we can return a profit and sell him instead for coin? So they took him and bound him and threw him in a pit and sold him to the first people they could. But they wondered what would they say to their dad, the dad who, who loved Joseph more. I know. He always wore that royal robe. We'll take that. We'll tear it to pieces and put some blood on it to make him think that he was dead. The story doesn't go as we would expect for Joseph. Every time Joseph then would, would rise to some level of prominence, it would be taken away. He would receive setback after setback after setback, it would seem. In Genesis 39, even though Joseph was a slave, he became someone that rose to be an overseer of someone's household, a, a prominent household an influential household. And yet, and yet, when he rose to that level by God's design, he was accused of doing something he had never done. And he was thrown into prison. He didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was punished. But even in prison, Joseph rose to some semblance of prominence there as, as over time he became someone who would oversee all of the other prisoners. And, and as he was doing that, he even was able to, to interpret the dreams of a couple prisoners. One of them liked the interpretation. The other did not. But they both became true. 
One of the prisoners was restored to his previous position of being the cup bearer to Pharaoh. And Joseph said to them, Remember me when you get there. Remember me when you're restored to your position. Well, the cupbearer did remember. But for a long while, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Two more long years until Pharaoh himself had a dream that he he couldn't figure out, that none of his people were able to help him understand. And once again, the Lord causes the cupbearer to remember Joseph and to bring him and to say, this man can interpret the dream And so Joseph does. And he rises to prominence once again. Overseeing the organization of food for the coming famine. And then the famine comes. And it seems everywhere. All lands don't have enough food and And they remember, or perhaps they hear, that Egypt has food to spare and food to sell. And so people come from all over the place. And Joseph then encounters his brothers. Something he probably would have never expected. And they come. And they stand in front of them hoping for food, to purchase food for for themselves and for their father and for their whole family. What would it be that Joseph does? Oftentimes, a, a visceral reaction to experiencing some type of pain is desiring others to experience that pain as well. When you've been hurt so badly, you want others to feel the hurt that you yourself have felt. I think there's countless movies and TV shows that show that theme of revenge. Wanting to get even. One of them, for that, for some reason, always sticks in my brain is The Count of Monte Cristo. It's like a 1840s book, but it's been rewritten in multiple times into TV shows or miniseries or or movies. It it follows this guy named Edmund Dantes, and who he is falsely accused of treason, and he's and he's went and he's locked up in this island prison. At some point, he ends up being able to escape with the help of another prisoner. And he escapes and he finds this treasure and he then assumes a new identity, the Count of Monte Cristo. And his entire purpose is to use his wealth and his newfound prominence to make the person who put them there hurt to conspire to destroy those people. Perhaps 
you yourself have experienced times where you've been hurt or wounded by other people. Sometimes the hardest ones are, are the ones who hurt you with their words without even realizing it. That they say something that just breaks your very soul. It hurts your very mind. And they were just oblivious. Where unintended conversations and unintended statements create unintended hurt. I wonder how we respond in those situations. But what about the other ones where there was intention in mind, where they desired to hurt? What do you do in those? Because that's what Joseph was faced with. Brothers who didn't unintendedly hurt him, but intentionally chose to sell him and tell their own father, his most loved son, was dead. And it perhaps seems as the story begins that Joseph is going to put the screws, so to speak, to his brothers. He, he recognizes them even though they don't recognize him. And he starts saying, you're spies from another country come, coming to check on what we're doing here and what we have. I'm like, no, no, we're, we're just ten brothers. Well, well, we have one more at home and and, and our father, and, and we're farmers, and, and so on. And, and Joseph, no, he digs in. Well, if that's the truth, you need to bring your brother to me. And so they, they go home with food. Joseph arranges that all their money is put back in there. Whether that's a, a grace of allowing them to keep the money, or whether that's a, a detriment to say uh, you didn't pay for what you received. We don't know. Then the brothers tell their father what has happened, that they need to send the youngest brother, Benjamin, probably the next most loved son, back to Egypt if they ever want to have food again. With much reluctance, Jacob allows Benjamin to go along with them to travel. Once again, the they stand before Joseph. But Joseph this time, though, treats them to a feast. He celebrates with them. And then he's going to send them on their way. But one thing he does is he puts his own royal cup in Benjamin's sack of grain and then accuses him of stealing. seems that everything Joseph is doing at this point in time is is to make the brothers feel pain in which they do. Twenty years after selling their brother as a slave, they hear and see these setbacks and they say, God is punishing us for what we've done to our brother. Twenty years and they still have the shame and the guilt of what they had done in the past. But as the story continues, as Joseph is accusing Benjamin and desiring to take him prisoner, 
Judah, one of the other brothers, the fourth oldest, speaks up. And he says, my father will surely die if you take him. Take me instead. Desiring to switch places a life for a life so that one may live. Judah speaks up. And it's at that point that I think Joseph's heart changes. He sees not only that their brothers repent or, or feel sorry for everything that they had done to, to Jacob or to Joseph, but now they see that they're willing to act on their own behalf to give up of their own life to protect the youngest of their brothers. And Joseph, he's overcome with emotions. Let's read part of this story from Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all of his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one there with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that even the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. This isn't the first time that Joseph weeps either. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer them because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, a lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord over all Egypt." Come down to me and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near to me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin that it really is I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything that you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over him. 
Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. We see, I think, another aspect where God changes people's hearts and turns things upside down where perhaps someone would have expected revenge to take place. Instead, we see grace. We see sacrificial love in Judah, which causes Joseph to have compassion and grace upon his own brothers. Where he says, I don't blame you anymore. And he uses some profound statements to say so. Because if you remember the story, it was his brothers who schemed and plotted and thought about murdering him but instead sold him into slavery. But that's not how Joseph recalls the events. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling you here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph somehow recognizing something deeper that's going on among the difficulty of his life. Him recognizing that God has has brought him to this position for a specific reason. He says, God sent me to preserve life. Another time, he says, to preserve a great number of people. And another time, God meant it for good. Perhaps Joseph remembered the covenant that God had with his great-grandfather. The covenant said that Abraham was going to become a great people, a great nation, And this is the way that God is continuing to preserve that line so that there would be a great people arising from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's son. I think it shows us that the God of Genesis is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who's in control of all of the different things that are happening so that there was a great number of survivors that would go forward to create the nation of Israel. A future grace that would not have been there before had Joseph not been sold into slavery. I think this story offers models for us. Models of repentance and forgiveness and and reconciliation. And I think it also offers the idea of future forgiveness that will come. Just as the Jesus Storybook Bible would say. Future forgiveness. Forgiving those who had hurt him, enabling something to happen later in Scripture. I think ultimately we see, yes, Jesus as the crowned prince, 
He's the crowned one that comes down from heaven to earth, taking on a lowly esteem as a servant. Dulas is the word that we use for that. But it also means slave. Taking on the form of a slave. We see other things too. Jesus, just like Joseph, would be sold. Sold per, for profit. Sold for a, a few coins to line the pocketbook to, to give him over into the hands of the authorities. Jesus, like Joseph, would have his robes torn. Torn to pieces. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of the the difficulty of being sold, in the midst of the difficulty of being torn, God was deliberate about what had to take place. We read this in Acts 2, verses 22 and 23. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through Him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and His foreknowledge. And with the help of wicked men, put Him to death by nailing Him to the cross. Even in the midst of the difficulty of the story we know about Christ, there too we see God at work in a deliberate way. Almost do the same thing that He had done in Genesis. So that many lives would be preserved. His deliberate plan using wicked people to do an evil thing to cause lives to be saved. Without Judas, Jesus doesn't get handed over to death. Without Judas, Jesus doesn't die and He doesn't rise from the dead. doesn't excuse the actions of the brothers or Judas, but it shows us that it was necessary in this story. And even in the midst, even in the midst of what is happening, Jesus on the cross forgives. He doesn't think about retribution. He doesn't think about getting even. Instead, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think it gives us an example of how we're to respond when we are put into situations where we experience the hurt from other individuals. That there's forgiveness. We say it each and every time if you've ever repeated the Lord's Prayer, 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or if you know it a different way, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. It's not You can't receive one without giving the other. I hope that's the case in each and every one of our lives because that's what God has called us to do. To receive His forgiveness freely and then freely give forgiveness to those who deserve it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the forgiving Prince. Christ who, who came in this world with, with all a power and authority and, and, and He could have had it all and He could have done things differently, but instead He came as a servant. A servant who, who died to preserve many lives. We pray that You would extend that forgiveness to us that He gives us. And help us by the power of Your Spirit to forgive others. That we may not be held captive by our past or past hurts, but will be freely willing to give Your grace and Your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.